the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report today. This is the show where we do our very best every single episode to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. Culture is changing all of the time, and we need the best information and perspectives we can possibly get to navigate that. Appreciate you being here today. My name is Jeremy Stolnecker. I am your host and excited about our interview today. Today, my guest is someone who's been on the show before. Uh, Josh Hammer is with us. Josh is the opinion editor at Newsweek, has a Newsweek podcast. He's done a bunch of other stuff, which we'll talk about in the interview. But one of the things I appreciate about him is that he has a great way of deconstructing what's happening in the world, really in our world, uh, for purposes of this show, in our culture. (laughs) He has a way of deconstructing that in a way that makes sense, and it's very actionable. I really appreciate his perspective. Today we had him on just to talk about a number of topics, things that are happening in our country uh, that really need to be made sense of. So please enjoy this conversation with Josh Hammer. Josh has been with us in the past, and there's so much going on in the country. <laughs> we asked him to come back and help us deconstruct some of that. Uh, opinion editor for Newsweek, research fellow, Edmund Burke Foundation, syndicated columnist, and uh, now, I, I guess it's been a couple months now, several months, you have a podcast on Newsweek. So a lot of stuff going on in your world. It's a, it's a fun time to be in this line of work, but it's a pleasure, pleasure to be back with you to try and make sense of the madness that is surrounding us every single day, it seems like. <laughs> well, making sense of the madness, um, yeah, it is a good time to be involved in trying to do that because there's so much madness to make sense of. Um, man, so many things going on. In fact, yesterday we communicated a little bit what exactly should we focus on and kind of the conclusion on our end of everything. Uh, which you can't really do. Let's let's start with the midterms and work from there. Um, midterms are coming up, and I know there is a lot of uh, predicting going on, some runoffs happening even this week. Um, what makes this midterm election different than those in the past? What are some things that are happening right now that concern you and some things maybe that don't concern you but are um, encouraging to you as we come into this election? Well, I think what stands out, I mean, if you follow this really at all, if you look at the current polling, the R versus degeneric ballot, if you look kind of state by state, if you look at Biden's, you know, catastrophic, yeah. uh, you know, ca- career defining epochal, we might say, low <laughs> approval ratings. Epochal. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, what I have seen, and I saw Henry Olson, who was one of my very favorite columnists, he's an Ethics and Public Policy Center fellow and writes uh, for the Washington Post. He's one of their kind of rare conservative columnists. He's very good at kind of crunching the numbers, and he has a really keen sense of history. What Henry has said is that Republicans, if these current trend lines hold, are probably on pace to pick up more seats in Congress, both the House and Senate, Mm. than they have done in a century, literally since the Calvin Coolidge administration. Right now, I mean, based on the tea leaves that I am reading, and again, we're still pretty far out. I mean, we're still, you know, you can never count your chickens before they hatch. We're still five and a half months away from the the election in November. 
But as of now, the current national mood, the current national climate, it suggests to me that 2022 couldn't make 2010 look like a walk in the park. Mm. And 2010, obviously, was the first midterm election after Barack Obama was sworn to president. It was kind of a historic backlash against him. Republicans kind of swept in. That was the whole Tea Party movement. But it's really looking quite favorable for Republicans. Unfortunately, what that means, uh, what the, you know, w- w- when the opposition party, the party out of power, looks like it is going to do as good as the GOP yeah. looks like it'll do this yeah. fall, what that means is that Americans are pessimistic about how things are going. And that's that's an understatement. I mean, the number that I saw recently was that I think 16, that's not 60, but 16, one six, 16% of Americans think that the country's on the right track. Wow. Wow. That's really, really Bad stuff. Honestly. I mean, yeah. you you legitimately might have to go back a century or more. I mean, back way before they even had public opinion polling to the last time Americans were this pessimistic. And that doesn't make me particularly happy. But, you know, the, the silver lining there is that Republicans could stand to benefit. Do you are, are you afraid at all? This is one of my concerns going into the midterms is that what you just described will happen. And then the Republicans will do what they have historically done, which is not much at all. And leading into 24, we're right back to where we are now. Is that a concern of yours, or do you think the mood is different among politicians? No, look, that's definitely a concern of mine. I mean, first, we need to actually see what happens in the ballot box, right? I mean, so there's this old phrase um, in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict context. Uh, I I think it was Abba Eben, an Israeli statesman, I think, who said this, where he famously said, um, or maybe it was Menachem Begin, I can't remember. But anyway, it was an Israeli who said, the Palestinians never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. (laughs) And that's kind of what Republicans are here. Republicans never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. That's right. So let's, like, like, given all these like projections and these trend lines let's actually see what happens at the ballot box first but look you know to your question if they actually do come in with these sweeping majorities some might even say an electoral mandate Mm. you know the reality is they still face a hostile administration they still face a hostile white house and you know i I mean republicans even even if they pick up every swing seat in the United States Senate, seats like Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, New Hampshire. I mean, all those seats are on the ballot this year. Even if they pick up all of them, they're probably not going to reach a 60-senator threshold. So that would still require kind of nuking the filibuster. Yep. And I, that's just not going to happen, right? I mean, there's just no appetite for that. Mitch McConnell is nothing if not institutionalist. <laughs> right. he, I mean, he's cer- he certainly would never do right. that. So what, so what can they realistically do if they can't pass legislation? Well, they can use the subpoena power. They can call lots of investigations. They can investigate kind of Russiagate, the fact that we have no justice or closure on all things Russiagate. They can kind of subpoena Hunter Biden and maybe kind of talk about the laptop. They can talk about Hillary Clinton and the emails and steel dossier. But besides the hard use of the subpoena power and maybe some creative use of the power of the purse to kind of try to get more – policies out there there's not a whole lot of legislating to be done so i i think for the next you know at, at, at this point two and a half years or whatnot until the, yep. the possibility of republican presidents most of the action is still going to happen at, at the state and even the local level as you know our friend mike lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life he didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow now mike has done it again by introducing his my slippers for a limited time, you will save $90 on a pair of my slippers. This blowout sale of the year won't last, so order now. Mike has taken two years to develop the my slippers, and they are designed to wear both indoor and out all day long. 
Made with MyPillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, they are also made with quality leather suede. Call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. This offer will not last long, so order now with promo code SITREP at MyPillow.com. President Trump has been, you know, very active supporting candidates, um, even supporting some candidates that I would not support. Uh, What does his endorsement of people like uh, Dr. Oz and, you know, a couple of other of his endorsements have been kind of outside of the pale of his norm. What does that say about where he is right now? And again, as we look down the road, um, will you you can't you can't know if he's going to run i mean it seems like he's going to run but what's the mood of the country as it relates to president trump coming back into kind of the fold right now so he has had some good endorsements too right sure I mean, of like course he, yeah of course he, 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 like he definitely has had some questionable ones i mean i, I am not exactly you know I, I guess we're still as we're recording this we're waiting to see what happens right. with the amendment oz david mccormick recount um, I, I, if I personally had been a voter in Pennsylvania, I probably would have pulled the ballot box for Kathy Barnett, who I guess came in a somewhat sure. distant third. Sure. Um, but yeah, that was a, that, that was a weird endorsement. I mean, it was, I mean, I have to think that like Trump and Oz kind of just like know each other personally. Sure. That's probably my, that's probably my, it's probably his friend's my endorsement. Guess. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like they're celebrities, yeah. right? I mean, like they're both like, they probably run in some of the same circles. Sure. I mean, I, that, that's my best guess there. I, I, I thought the endorsement of JD Vance in Ohio was strong, bold and inspired. Probably brought JD across the finish line. Yeah. Uh, you know, full disclosure, JD was a, is a, is a friend, but I was I was really happy to kind of see the Trump endorsement there work to its intended yeah. effect and kind of haul him across the finish line there. You know, look, I I live here in South Florida, and I I actually have been at Mar-a-Lago twice over the past like month and a half. The first time was in early April. Um, for my dear friend Michael Berry, the Houston-based yeah. radio host, he yeah. was doing a little retreat that I was on a panel, and like Trump actually kind of walked in, That's and awesome. I saw him there. And then uh, uh, more recently than that, in early May, I was there for the premiere of Dinesh D'Souza's 2000 yep. Mules documentary. I know, I know you had Dinesh on, on yep. the show recently as well. Uh, the first time I saw Trump at Mar-a-Lago, he was amazing. I mean, he was full Trump. He was happy. He was joking. He was funny. He was, he was shaking hands. Yep. He, looked, he, he looked like he was having the time of his life. The second time for the 2000 Mules premiere, he sounded really tired, actually. Mm. He was a very different Trump. And the friends I talked to kind of had the same reaction. I don't know. I mean, maybe he was maybe he was just feeling a little under the weather. Maybe he was feeling a little sick. Maybe he actually is like a little tired. I mean, he's not a young man anymore, sure. obviously, sure. And, he, and he's been hitting the campaign trail in places like Ohio and Pennsylvania. So I, I, I guess we'll see. I mean, I, I, it was interesting that they got multiple data points there that kind of clash against one another. My best prediction is I do think he's he's going to run. I mean, at this point, I think he probably would have to suffer like a heart attack or something yeah, to not right. run. Because if there's one thing that Donald Trump hates, it's being a loser. And, you know, by definition, no matter what you think yep. about uh, the fraud yep. in 2020, the point is, uh, you, you know, he, he quote unquote lost that election, regardless yep. of whether it was stolen. He is no longer the president of the United States, period. So he's going to want to redeem himself, I think. And I do expect him to announce his candidacy at some point relatively soon. I, I think there was a lot of discussion about whether he would run or he would endorse DeSantis. And maybe that was a legitimate discussion at, at one point. It certainly seems like he is now putting himself in a position to run. And, and there's a lot of a lot of momentum behind that right now, frankly. And, and part of that is because <laughs> because of who we currently have in the White House. Um, so I guess we'll see what happens there. Do you believe, and this is something I, I mentioned right before we started recording, uh, the 2000 Mules documentary, Dinesh D'Souza's documentary, you just mentioned it again. Um, it kind of is the smoking gun on a lot of the election fraud that took place. 
regardless of how you feel about it before you watch the documentary, I don't know how you could feel otherwise after watching it. But it brings up the point or the question of election integrity. Going into the midterms, we probably will not see the same issues we saw in 2020. But coming into the presidential election, we potentially could. Are we on a path to fix that, to restore it, to avoid it? Are the Republicans doing anything about it? Is law enforcement doing anything about it? Um, Is there any reason to believe that our vote will substantially count more than it did in 2020? So you're asking the right question. I mean, I had Dinesh on my own podcast recently. I asked him a variation of this question. Uh, John Eastman, who, of course, was 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 one of President Trump's top attorneys during the whole kind of uh, post-election kind of fraud-related litigation. I, I've known John for many years. Uh, John's, mm. John's a friend. I, I've asked him the same question as well. No one really seems to know the answer to this question, yeah, right. <laughs> which, it's, right. which, right. which itself is a massive problem, right? I mean, like, we're literally here talking. I mean— I, I cannot pinpoint a single organization that is singularly devoted. I mean, True the Vote, which obviously is the organization that Dinesh worked sure. with on, on the yep. 2000 Mules film, they are working to expose a lot of the uh, the bad deeds, uh, for lack of a better term, that were done in 2020. <laughs> right. But it's, I, I mean, unless I'm mistaken, I don't know that the, I don't know that they're trying to build out a national infrastructure to prevent this mm-hmm. from happening again. So I, I mean, I just don't know of a single organization out there. There certainly are some organizations that I can think of that I think should be trying to get into this space within the kind of the right of center world. But I, as of now, it simply does not seem like there's a whole lot of energy for this, at least at a yeah. federal level. At a state level, obviously, we've seen some action on this. Georgia, of course, passed what was a fairly moderate, uh, honestly, like a election integrity voter ID style law last April 2021. Of course, the left, Biden, you know, they flipped out. They called it sure, Jim yeah. Crow all over again. Yeah, just, definitely racist yeah, to just, want identification when you vote, yes. Yeah, just up, just shocking stuff. Um, here, <laughs> you know, here in Florida, in my state, our governor, DeSantis, um, I can't remember if this was a legislation that passed the, the legislature or if he kind of signed an executive order, but he has put into place kind of uh, various measures that will uh, – I'm trying to remember exactly what he did. I think he got a voter fraud unit of kind of the prosecutor apparatus right. here. He kind, of, right. he kind of got that yeah. started. Um, I know yeah. Governor Abbott and the Texas legislature have taken some steps to kind of beef up election security. But the point is, like, right now, that's, what, that's all that's happening. It's, a kind of a, it's kind of at a state-by-state level. The issue, obviously, the problem is that a lot of the states where what appears like the most fraud occurred, states like Pennsylvania, you know, are not, yep. are not these deep red states where you have governors like Abbott and DeSantis who are able to just do yep. this. Yep. Yep. So, uh, I, I mean, I'm not seeing a ton of progress, to be honest with you. Personally, my main axe to grind with, what's, with the, what I've seen and the lack of progress, I am waiting for a district attorney. I am waiting for kind of just a local prosecutor a state attorney general would be great but at least kind of a an ambitious local district attorney who wants to get on tucker carlson's show why are you not trying to get something some scalp some receipt to point to that could potentially get the momentum going in kind of a snowball effect style fashion so that is what i'm waiting for i i i I am just baffled as to why there's not a single da anywhere in the country on our side who has gotten this kind of thing rolling it's it's crazy to me i think you know, one of the things I've learned in the last two years is that the rules no longer apply and the motivation for people to do things, it, it's not the, it used to be able, you used to be able to look at it and go one plus one will equal two. So if the Democrats are doing this, then they're going to do this and we know it will result in that. It, it, none of that seems to apply anymore. And, and, and so it is with the prosecution of things that 
are out in the open uh, that are provable and that have a real impact on our country. You know, again, I watching that documentary, um, I had so many questions. I'm cynical by nature. I think a lot of people are. And even though I believe, you know, there probably was fraud, I, it can't be proven and those kind of things. And you watch it and Dinesh answers every question along the way, breaks down, this is how it happened. This is how we follow these folks. And oh, by the way, here's video of these these things happening. And yet nothing has been done. I think in two counties, perhaps uh, someone or, you know, folks have responded. But other than that, nothing. And it, it defies explanation to me why it is that people who have the job to pursue things like this have just said, we're not going to deal with it. And I don't understand it. It's very, very hard to explain when people ask why. And yeah, I guess there isn't an explanation. No, there's really not a huge explanation other than the fact that obviously the Democrats, by definition, have no incentive whatsoever to. Sure. To, yeah, sure. Um, sure. But I, I, look, I mean, the other thing, obviously, you can't forget that there are large swaths of kind of the right of center establishment, perhaps even the majority of the conservatism, Inc. or Republican Party establishment more generally that don't want to talk about this issue either because for the very simple yeah, reason yeah. that they're happy that Trump is gone. Right. Sure. Um, it's, yeah, it's, right. it's also as a matter of kind of. Um, you, you know, for various parts of kind of the right of center, center firmament, it's also much easier <laughs> to be in the opposition than it is to lead. Mm. Because when you are actually, when you control the White House, when you control the sprawling administrative state yep. executive branch apparatus, you got to do something. You got right, to right. govern, you have to issue rules and regulations. It's so much easier. It, it literally is so much easier to kind of be in the opposition and just kind of throw rhetorical bombs and say, oh, this is terrible. The economy is terrible. And I agree. It is terrible. That's what we were just talking about. I mean, like Joe Biden yeah. is doing an, an abominable job. He is, right. he's, he, <laughs> right. he, he, he is honestly, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm too young to have lived through Jimmy Carter, but based on all the stuff that I've read from Jimmy Carter's presidency, he, Biden literally seems like he's much worse. So things are really bad. Much worse, yes. But, but having said that, I mean, it is still much easier to be in the opposition. I mean, sure. I, I remember the Obama presidency. It was so easy to be like an anti-Obama commentator or, or an anti-Obama voter or anything. I mean, because it was there was a lot to criticize. Honestly, back then, there's yeah. even more to criticize now. So I, I think for all those reasons, a lot of people, really, even on our side uh, in right of center America, don't particularly feel strongly about getting to the bottom of it either. So if you combine that with the fact that no Democrat cares, obviously by definition, there's just not this is not going to be a whole lot of movement, unfortunately, to get to the bottom of any of this. I'm hopeful that one of these solutions is, and I think I think we talked about this last time you were on our show, is the bottom-up approach. As more and more people get involved in local politics, they're running for school board, they're running for city council, they're running for these local um, elected positions, that then they will care because they are personally invested in what's happening. And it's not something that's far away out there. It's something that will impact their community. Maybe that is you know, that groundswell will help with that. But um, I guess we'll see. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, one of the big issues in front of us, and, and you've talked a lot about this and, and written on it, is the leaked uh, SCOTUS opinion on uh, Roe v. Wade. Um, there's a lot, a lot to that. And I'd, I'd love to get just your perspective on what happened and why it happened. Um, but to our current topic, <laughs> how will it impact the midterms? Uh, will it benefit the Democrats? Will it benefit the Republicans? Is it not the economy, so it doesn't matter that much? Uh, what impact, if any, will it have? Yeah, so I think the economy and inflation in particular are definitely, those are the, those are the top issues this fall. Right. I mean, the stock, right. the stock market is 
is absolutely plummeting right now, um, and inflation is at a four-decade high. I think those definitely sure. are the main issues. I mean, supply yep. chains, baby formula, all those kind of bread-and-butter issues yep. that voters feel every single day is, I think, what's going to wipe Democrats out this fall. But when it comes to abortion in particular, you know, look, I mean, I, I did see one poll that had it ranked as um, as a top-five issue now that this opinion has been leaked as far as the, the ballot boxes fall. But another issue I saw had it ranked number nine. I mean, like, which is not particularly high up, to be honest right. with you. sure. I think Democrats, uh, pro-abortion folks in general, are way too quick to kind of overplay their hand on this issue. That's kind of a recurring theme that I see. And, right. and, I, I, right. and I, have, right. I, have, I have a theory as to why, actually, which is pro-lifers, I think, are very good. Uh, not always, but oftentimes very good. And at least understanding what the other side's argument is. I think that we are able to kind of not empathize per se, but we are able to at least understand to an extent why they come to the conclusion they do. No one on their side makes any attempt whatsoever to even understand the pro-life perspective. They, they, yeah. they make no attempt to basically understand the very simple argument that human life begins at fertilization right. and after right. that is a human life. No one even makes any attempt. So if, if you make no attempt to do it, then they then you've, you've totally deluded yourself. You've blinded yourself and you think that this is like a no-brainer, obvious issue. Republicans are like Christian theocratic zealots looking to right. Get, right. Get, get, right. get handmaid's right. tale that there's no kind of rational or reasonable <laughs> argument there. So, right. They tend to overstate their claim on this all the time. But, it, but if, you do, if you look back on abortion public policy polling going back 10, 15 years or so, it's historically a pretty close question. Uh, the American electorate is pretty evenly split between pro-choice and pro-life, or I should say pro-abortion and pro-life because I don't actually like using the term pro-choice. I think it's, it's, right. it's a dumb term to be honest with you. But if anything, the pro-life side has actually made gains over the past decade or so. The younger folks, the younger generation actually tends to be even more pro-life than their parents for the very simple reason that we have access now to images, ultrasounds, medical technology that so clearly right. and strikingly reveal the humanity of the unborn child. So I think Democrats consistently overplay their hand on this issue. They literally obviously recently voted in disgusting fashion. They said it was, quote-unquote, codifying Roe versus Wade in, in, in Congress. What it amounted to, if that bill had passed, would have been to Congress to, to nationally, statutorily codify that abortion shall be legal for all nine months up until yeah. the child is going through the birth canal, which is disgusting stuff. Americans right. do not agree with that at all, consistently on the polling. So uh, I, it's not obvious to me which way this cuts this fall, um, but I, I, maybe it'll be like a slight shift in one direction or the other, but it's not going to make or break that many races, if yeah. any, I think. What's interesting about the Supreme Court decision, and if it you know, follows what was leaked and we don't know that it will, it looks like it will, it, it doesn't change much. I mean, there are states where abortion will be illegal, um, but access to abortion will still be present and people can still, uh, you know, do what they want to do. Do you think most Americans understand that, that this is not what it's being made out to be? It's being made out to be it's going to make abortion illegal across the country. Um, but that's not the case. Do you think most people understand that? No, they have. Uh, <laughs> the answer is no. I, one thing that abortion polling is known for, because I followed this quite a bit over the years, it's completely schizophrenic. If you actually look at what people say, a lot of them will say, I'm pro-life, but I'm pro-Roe versus Wade. Or, I mean, there's, there's all, these right, kind of, there's all right, these kind of internal right. dissensions. And what that, what that means is that no one really understands what the court actually did in, in Roe versus Wade. But to your point, 
Um, yeah, the pragmatic effects of if the leaked opinion from Justice Leto holds, and again, like you said, it's not obvious that it will hold. So we need to pray that it will and that justices Amy Coney Barron and Brett Kavanaugh kind of were yeah. able to stiffen their spines and withstand this unprecedented and disgusting assault. Yeah. But yeah. if it does hold and abortion is kind of deconstitutionalized and goes back to the states, not a whole lot's going to change. So look, you know, a, a number of states, maybe 10 to 15, do have these kind of trigger laws that will trigger in some sort of abortion ban after row. Very few of them will actually go back to conception. I mean, most of them will kick in at like 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks, fetal heartbeat, some sort of other kind of uh, threshold. Very few of them, even of these kind of trigger laws, will actually go back all the way to, um, you know, uh, when an egg is fertilized by a sperm. But even a hypothetical example, so let's kind of take a state like Texas or Oklahoma, which has, you know, which these states that have these trigger laws that, and let's even kind of concede the possibility that the trigger law will actually ban abortion, period, from fertilization onwards. Even in a state like that, and I, I, as a pro-lifer, I, I'm, not, I'm not happy when I say this, but even in a state like that, you know, if you, are, if you are a young woman and you are looking to have an abortion, there is a very high likelihood that you will still be able to get so. Sure. A lot of these companies yeah. now, like Uber and Lyft, are talking about kind of subsidizing rides that will cross state yeah. lines. <laughs> Elon Musk, I, I, I think, has, you know, yeah. he's kind of the conservative hero of the day for Twitter. Yeah, right. But off, out of the other side of his mouth, now he's saying that, like, Tesla will kind of give yeah. you a ride to out-of-state lines. The, I, I, and there's, 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 there's unfortunately no way necessarily – um, for Congress to to ban that because interstate travel has been interpreted by the court to be kind of an implied constitutional right. You cannot tell someone that they cannot cross state lines. There might be kind of an interstate commerce hook, but you know that's kind of really neither here nor there, and I'm not really hearing anyone on Capitol Hill talking yeah. about it anyway. And no one would enforce it if it was, right? Right, yeah. exactly. So uh, the reality is like not a whole lot on the ground will honestly change that much, but it is a step yeah. in the right direction, of course, which is why we have to pray that the opinion does hold. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting time for the abortion debate. So, you know, again, the cynical part of me says that this was leaked at a time that has nothing to do with abortion, that the people who are protesting, some of them care about, uh, you know, abortion, others do not, that it's, it's political, it has some other angle. Um, it, is this really about the pro-abortion movement, the rights of women. Is that really what this is about? Or is there uh, something else? It's been fascinating to watch as this has unfolded um, issues regarding gay marriage and issues regarding some of these other privacy, you know, issues that we talk about that are more moral um, float to the top, come to the top. Like now, next it's this and next it's that and next it's this other thing. Is this about abortion or is it about something else? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. So on the one hand, the left really does care a lot about abortion. Um, in particular, their activist class cares a lot about abortion. It's not obvious to me that the median Democratic donor yeah. considers this to be like a massive issue. But they have a very, very loud kind of like blue check right. kind of Twitter right. presence of powerful abortion activists. And they have a lot of groups out there like Emily's List, Planned Parenthood, obviously, a lot of kind of abortion advocates that really do tend to kind of direct the Democratic Party's legislative agenda that have kind of, uh, you know, I mean, if you, if you look what the Democrats have stood for on this issue, I mean, it was, it was President Bill Clinton who famously said that abortion should be, quote, safe, legal, and rare sure. right. back, back in the 1990s. 
you know, but this past decade, in the, in the, in the 2010s, a, a, a woman named Catherine Pollitt, if I remember her name correctly, wrote a book entitled, quote, Shout Your Abortion, which, and, and the argument yeah. there is it doesn't have to be rare. There's no stigma here whatsoever that it's no different than clipping yeah. your, your yeah. toenail or, or, an, right. or an appendectomy or any kind of routine medical procedure, obviously, right? So I, I, I do think that there is something to be, to be said for that. Um, obviously, kind of the you know hard kind of third wave feminists in particular kind of view this as necessarily tied in to kind of women's kind of uh, economic empowerment and and all that stuff. So I I think that part of it is sincere. I mean, the specific way that I have phrased it repeatedly in the past is I have called abortion the left quote foremost pagan sacrament because yeah. if you kind of take yeah. wokeism as a pseudo religion, it does it does kind of take on the um, yeah you know yeah. All, all the wrappings of a, of a sacrament type thing but to your question i do think there is something else bigger and probably even more nefarious going on here which is just trying to burn institutions down yeah it's just this yeah. instinct to kind of just try to degrade disintegrate and ultimately destroy institutions both externally and internally so the united states supreme court Look, I, I, so I clerked on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. I clerked on a federal court. I, 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 I'm fortunate I have dozens at this point, dozens and dozens of friends who either have clerked or are clerking or will clerk on the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah. I can tell you with very clear knowledge on this, that court cannot function in, a, in an environment like this. No court can function in environments where people are leaking internal things yeah, like right, this. I mean, right. and don't take my word for it. Justice Clarence Thomas just said that. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, literally last week in a conversation with John Yu down in Dallas, Texas, he literally said that. And if you want to destroy the country, you know, I, I, think, I think the Supreme Court is, is very low-hanging fruit. I mean, the, the president, the executive branch is kind of a harder thing to undermine from within. But at, at any given term at the Supreme Court, there are 46 people. There's nine justices and 37 clerks. It's a very small institution, honestly. Mm. So if you're, if you're trying to destroy a major edifice yeah. that kind of holds America's great constitutional order intact, I think the Supreme Court, from that you know, Leninist perspective, just burning crap down, that's a solid place to start. So I predict the leaker yeah. was probably thinking along those lines as well, trying to play this long game here of just trying to accelerate the de- the destruction, frankly, of, of the country. Why have we not heard more conservatives stand up and scream about that? So I, I don't understand why we haven't had more conservatives stand up and scream about, you know, abortion. I, <laughs> I think we undermine our own argument when we talk about, you know, things like rape and incest and you know, it's okay in some, at some times and not others when we allow the argument that conservatives only care about birth, but they don't care about the born. They don't take care of people after they've been born. That's one of the stupidest statements and arguments. It's provably false because there are more Christian institutions, organizations um, that care for the born, that care for, you know, who need to be adopted, that even beyond children that donate money. Um, conservatives... I forget what the numbers are. I was looking at it earlier this week. Um, like three to one, uh, give more money to charitable causes than those who self-identify as liberals. So again, provably false. It's stupid. Um, I don't know why conservatives aren't pushing back on that narrative, but <laughs> why won't they at least push back on the political narrative, which is these folks are burning down institutions that are important to us, and we need to stand up for the integrity of the court. If you don't want to deal with abortion, which I think you should, but if you don't want to, why are you not, as a politician, at least dealing with confronting the political aspect of this? 
Yeah, you're asking a great question. So literally, in fact, uh, maybe maybe 30, 40 minutes ago, or really just before we started recording this, I was recording a separate podcast where we had this exact same discussion. It's mm. cr- it's it's crazy to me that Republicans are not up in arms on this issue. If there's one, yeah. if there's one thing that public polling shows over and over and over again that moderates and independent voters hate, it is anarchy. It is riots. Yeah. It is arson. It is all the garbage that happened in the summer of 2020 yep. with the post-George yep. Floyd Black Lives Matter and Tifa riots that burned down cities. Moderates and independents hate that stuff. Yep. And crime yeah. happens to be skyrocketing in America. It has been skyrocketing now for the past few years. You know, in Chicago, I lived in Chicago for three years. I was back, um, I was back a few weeks ago for kind of a law school alumni type thing. I went with my girlfriend. We were at kind of a sports bar in a in, in very nice neighborhood, Streeterville. For the viewers who are familiar with Ohio, or, excuse me, familiar with Chicago, this is like downtown, like nice part of Chicago. This is not like the rough South Side. There was a panhandler in the bar who wouldn't go away, and it turns out he ended up successfully stealing my girlfriend's purse. I've been working with the police well, and detectives and everything. Yeah. Homicides in Chicago yeah. are are dramatically skyrocketing. Yeah, we're we. we, we People are fed up with the garbage. They are fed up with, with the criminals that, that are running loose here. And they are fed up with the idea that people can put a gun to a head of an institution and threaten yeah. to riot or burn stuff down if they don't right. get their way. This, this right. happened, by the way, also last year in the context of the Derek Chauvin verdict. And, and, and Derek, mm. Derek Chauvin, of course, was, who was the one with the knee on George Floyd. Yep. I, I'm not saying that he, I, that he, was, that he was wrongfully convicted. I, I, I mean, I, I don't remember the specific kind of manslaughter or homicide charges, but obviously what he did was certainly morally wrong, and I think was probably was, I think that's probably the criminally correct result as well. I just don't remember the, the right. legal nuances quite well. But the point is there that even at that time, on Twitter, all you saw was people saying, are you prepared to riot? We're gonna things. Things are gonna burn. There were images in downtown Minneapolis of people with like flamethrowers. I mean, like, I mean, yeah. people literally, yeah. people, yeah. people. If that verdict had gone the other way, they were gonna burn stuff down. This is not a way to govern the country, for God's sake. I mean, Abraham Lincoln, uh, back in his Lyceum address in eighteen thirty-eight, you know, famously said that there is no such thing as a grievance that is fit for redress by mob rule. In other words, there was right. nothing. There was literally yeah. nothing, even slavery, a, 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 an unambiguous evil like slavery. There was nothing where the solution is mob rule. So, uh, look, I, 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 if I were the Republicans, if I were kind of running for office this fall, the, the Republican Party is, is the party of Lincoln. He was the first Republican president going back to the 19th century. I would run on that. I would kind of run on, on, on a Lincolnian kind of opposition to mob rule. I think that will be very appealing to independents and moderates at the ballot box as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like in many ways that's what DeSantis is doing, has done, and that's why he is so popular. He just said we're not going to deal with it. Others who have stood up. Um, I'll tell you, the scariest thing for me is the Republican Party. I'm not scared scared by what I think Democrats will do. I'm scared by what I believe Republicans won't do, Uh, although we have good people running, and, you know, there is hope in that. Do you believe or do you feel like what has happened in the last two years as it relates to COVID, as it relates to the election, all the stuff we've had to deal with, the riots, as you mentioned, that that has um, woke people up, awakened people to the fact that if they don't stand up, take responsibility, um, come together as communities, if, if they don't get involved, that things are going to get worse and worse and worse. I feel like we were kind of lulled into a, you know, a, a sleep or lulled into this idea that everything's going to be okay, that the government generally has our best interest in mind, even though we may not agree on how to get there. Uh, do you feel like the mood of the country has changed because of what has become so apparent? 
Yeah, I do. I mean, again, 16% of Americans think the country right. is going in the sure. right direction. And you know, I think back to a recent column that I wrote that I entitled, quote, Joe Biden versus We the People. And I had that kind of dynamic there for a reason, which is yeah. it's very difficult to look at what is going on right now and think that the government is acting with our best interests at heart. Sure. I mean, right. toss aside like a morally fraught and contentious issue like abortion, kind of sticking with the, with the bread and butter economics of this. We're facing four-decade-high inflation. Gas oh, prices, this week that we're recording this, just reached an average of $4 a gallon in literally all 50 states. That's the yeah. first time in U.S. history that has ever happened. Yeah. And sure enough, last week, what did they do? They canceled offshore oil and natural gas leases in both Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, I mean, how do you reconcile that? Yeah. I mean, I mean how, yeah. how do you possibly reconcile that? Right. At the same time, by the way, while they're not giving jobs and kind of lowering costs and trying to make America more energy um, independent with respect to kind of Alaska and places like, and things like the Keystone XL pipeline, at the same time, they've also shown themselves more willing to kind of take in Venezuelan oil. Biden has kind of opened up a lot of communication with Maduro, the, the dictator who runs that socialist hellhole down in South America. He's yeah. also kind of yeah. he's full of the, he's full of the possibility of importing Iranian oil. Imagine the moral calculus yeah. there. Like Iranian oil, okay. Alaska, not okay. I mean, like, what? What kind of like a sick, twisted person right. could like, could arrive at that kind of conclusion there? So, right. I do think just the depths of what we are going through with inflation, which again hits literally everyone, the supply chain shortages, the the literally lethal lethal shortages of baby food. Yep. Uh, I, I think Americans are wakening up and sobering up there. And to the extent that they want to manifest that in, in kind of like a more populist uprise at kind of the local level, running for kind of school board and local things like that, I think, I think that's completely healthy. I mean, that is the way to kind of get more involved. Because on a, day, on a day-to-day level, obviously, these state and local governments absolutely do control your lives right. uh, much more than Washington, D.C. does. And that's, that's in the system. I mean, you know, that is, not, that is not a bug, but that is a feature of the American constitutional right. order. Which, sure. That's the way it is supposed to be. So if that's the reaction that we have, I think it's healthy for sure. That's good. Uh, Josh, we could talk about a lot of other things. Again, there is no shortage of topics to discuss, no shortage of topics. Um, you, you write about this. Your podcast is great. Um, I always enjoy watching you on uh, other shows. You have such great insight. Where can people follow you and uh, learn more about the work that you're involved in? Yeah, well, that's really kind of you. Thank you so much, obviously. So uh, my Twitter is at Josh underscore Hammer. You can go to uh, Newsweek.com, which is the website where I am opinion editor, of course, and I have my own podcast called The Josh Hammer Show, which is available on Newsweek's website. Yeah. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. But um, yeah, no, that was really kind of you. Thank you so much for saying all that. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you bring great clarity. Um, you're on uh, Steve Dace's show a lot, and I'll watch his show just because you're on it sometimes. Don't tell him that, <laughs> but uh, I always appreciate your analysis. It's just so clear. So thanks for doing it, and uh, hopefully we can have you back on soon. Sounds great. I look forward to that. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, 
These men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Appreciate Josh. Thankful that he would come on the show again and, uh, man, just help kind of break some of these things down. It's so hard to navigate these issues. And you watch things that are happening on the news. You watch the the riots as it relates to the SCOTUS decision. You watch uh, really sometimes even the lack of response by people you would expect to respond or a different response from those on the right. People you may hope will stand up for what's right and in many ways they remain silent. We talk about election integrity. All of these issues, it's so difficult to really navigate, to understand what's happening, and to know what we should do in response. Josh is one of those guys that has a tremendous way of breaking it down, giving us the details uh, that we can use to then make good decisions, to navigate our way forward, providing those information and perspectives that are so helpful. Appreciate Josh. Please go and check out his content at Newsweek. Thank you for watching or listening to the show. If you're listening on a podcast platform, make sure that you are subscribed on that platform. Very, very important that you are subscribed. That's how you get this content as soon as it is delivered. Three times a week, a new episode comes online. We want you to have that right away. If you have the opportunity to leave us a comment uh, or a rating there, please do that. If you'd like to watch the content, that's also possible. Go over to YouTube, search for The Situation Report. You'll find our channel. Subscribe, and then hit the notification bell. That lets you know as soon as new, t- new content comes out. We have uh, these shows, of course, other content that we push there. An archive of old shows, old guests, but great content that can be helpful to you. Please go and check that out. Thank you again for watching and listening. We will talk to you next time. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.